Lord's had on my, on my mind this thought, the things that matter, the things that matter. That's been the thought that's on my mind. And so I put it into a sermon, what felt like what the Lord had me preach today on the things that matter. And uh, then uh, yesterday, a friend of mine sent me an article to read, and I was reading the article and uh, got down to the end of the article, and the guy writing the article said, what we need to do is focus on the things that matter. I'm like, boy, talk about a confirmation that this is where the Lord has me for tomorrow. And then we come to church this morning, and uh, Brother Danny teaches in Sunday school, and he's a teacher there in Sunday school, and he's talking about... Uh, Daniel and how that Daniel uh, there in Babylon, he was faced with pressure. He was provoked to do wrong, but Daniel proclaimed that he was going to stay faithful to the Lord, and that's the gist of what matters here in this message that the Lord's had on my heart, the things that matter, us staying faithful. I'm like, look there, there's another there's another uh, confirmation, and this is where God wants us at. And then Miss Jen stands up and sings about Job, uh, who in the midst of trials, he remained faithful. And I'm like, boy, I'm telling you what, I don't believe we can get any more confirmation uh, that this is where the Lord wants us at, to be looking at this thought, the things that matter. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we'll be looking at verses 13 down through 17 here in just a few moments. As you turn in there, I do want to ask that you be in prayer for some different folks. Uh, we know that a lot of folks in the church are struggling with uh, COVID, and so we just want to be in prayer for them. Uh, but and if I miss someone, be sure to let me know after service. We'll be glad to pray for them as well. A lot of times uh, things uh, happen and I don't hear about it. So if there's someone else, uh, please let me know. Uh, but do be much in prayer for Bob Hall. This is Miss Rosa Hall's husband, Bob. I've not been able to speak with Miss Rosa yet this morning to check on how Bob was doing. But I know yesterday evening uh, Bob was not doing well at all. Bob already has a lot of breathing problems. Uh, and then he's got COVID and he was having a lot of trouble breathing. His oxygen was really low. He was dehydrated, uh, and so they took him into the emergency room. So do be much in prayer for Bob Hall, uh, that the Lord will touch his body. Uh, and then also be in prayer for Richard and Angie. Uh, we heard this morning that uh, Richard and Angie have really been uh, struggling especially Richard, has been struggling with the uh, coronavirus. And so uh, do be in prayer for them, that the Lord will work in their life and help them. And then also uh, Brandon was taken to the emergency room this morning last night, was taken to the emergency room last night, uh, again, struggling with the coronavirus. So keep each of these in prayer. Just lift them up before the Lord and pray for them. Ask that the Lord work in their life, help them, and bless them. So do keep these in prayer. And if there's, like I say, if there's any others that you know of that maybe I've not heard about uh, that are uh, struggling with this, uh, just be sure to let us know that we can lift them up in prayer, uh, that the Lord will bless them and be with them and get them through this. Amen. Second Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we'll be looking at this thought, that which matters most. That which matters most. Last week we looked at the thought of what to do in time of trouble, how to stay focused when there's trouble all around, when there's problems on every hand. What do we do in time of trouble? And this week I'm going to be kind of continuing that thought uh, by considering that uh, which matters most. Whenever we see trouble all around, we often wonder, uh, what can I do? How can I help? Uh, uh, what is there that I can uh, uh, contribute that will help the situation? 
situation that is going on around us? What is there uh, that I can do that helps uh, in this situation? Uh, when I was working on a title for this message, I thought of several different uh, uh, ideas as a title. I thought of sustainable living in a shaky world. I thought, boy, that sounds good. That's catchy. Sustainable living in a shaky world. I thought about how to make a difference in a world gone crazy. And boy, I'm telling you what, we do live in a world that seems to have lost their mind. How can we make a difference in a world like this? But I settled on that which matters most. Because while there are many things that we can do, if we neglect the biblical approach to what we ought to do, then everything that we try to do is of none effect and of none avail. We see that there is a biblical approach to making a difference and if we follow that biblical approach, then we can make a difference in the world around us. So this morning I want to look at this thought, that which matters most, or you could say investing in that which matters most. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 13 down through 17, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy who is pastoring a church in Ephesus. He says here in verse number 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, it is good to be in your house. Lord, it's good to be among your people. Lord, it is good to listen to the songs. Lord, it's good to worship you. Lord, it's good to hear the teaching and the preaching of your word. Father, it's good to fellowship one with another. And Father, I thank you that you ordained the church. I thank you, Lord, that you set it up, that, Lord, we would have this family, that, Lord, we could gain strength from. And Father, I thank you for it. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless now this morning. Lord, I pray that you be with many, uh, Lord, who are unable to be here. Lord, some in quarantine uh, uh, because they were exposed or have mild symptoms. Uh, uh, Lord, some who are having severe symptoms and are in the hospital. Uh, Lord, there are many who are unable to be with us this morning. And Father, I pray that you will be with each and every one of them. Father, I pray that you will put your hand upon them. I pray, dear Lord, that you will protect them. I pray that you'll heal them. And Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that they will be able to come back to a full state of health. Father, I pray. I pray, dear Lord, that you will be with those of us that are able to be here. Oh, Lord, that you will clear our hearts and clear our minds. Lord, that you will help us to be sensitive to your leadership. Uh, Lord, that we will be sensitive to the working of the Spirit. Uh, Father, that we will be open to the teaching of your Word and receptive to what it has to say. I pray, dear Lord, for the children's program downstairs. I pray you be with those that are working down there, those that are teaching, those that are helping. Father, I pray you be with that ministry. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Bless us now as we look into your Word. And Father, We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We see here Paul writing a letter to Timothy and in this letter he's given Timothy some instructions about how Timothy can contend or how Timothy can 
uh, be successful, I guess we could say, uh, in the society that he lives in. You see, Timothy lived in a world that was not much different uh, than the world that you and I live in. Uh, Timothy pastored a church there in the city of Ephesus. Uh, uh, city, Ephesus was a city that was filled uh, with the cultic worship uh, of the goddess Diana. Ephesus was filled uh, with godless, immoral lifestyles, many, much of which uh, uh, was an overflow of the evil practices of the worship of the goddess Diana. Ephesus was a city uh, that was rampant with demonic activity. Uh, Ephesus was a city uh, that had a great need of salvation uh, but had no use uh, for salvation. Ephesus was a city uh, that was content uh, in the life that they lived. And Paul wrote to Timothy with instruction uh, and encouragement concerning his ministry there in Ephesus. Uh, And Paul wrote to Timothy and his recipe for success uh, that he gave to Timothy there in Ephesus was very simple. His instruction was very clear. He said, Timothy, you be faithful. Timothy, you live in a city uh, that is given over to idolatry. You live in a city that's given over to immorality. Uh, You live in a city uh, that is given over to demonic practices. Uh, Timothy, you live in a city uh, where people do not understand uh, or even desire God in their life. Uh, He said, but Timothy, here uh, is how you be successful. Uh, Timothy, here is how you build a church. Uh, Timothy, here is how you bring people to salvation. Uh, Timothy, here's how you change what's going on in your city. Timothy, here's the recipe. Timothy, you be faithful. Paul's recipe was very simple. Timothy, you be faithful. In the face of the wickedness, make sure that you are staying faithful. And I believe that this instruction is the same for you and I today. I believe that if we want to make a difference, we must stay faithful. As long as the Lord tarries His coming, we're going to face opposition. As long as the Lord tarries His coming, there's going to be wickedness in the world around us. As long as the Lord tarries His coming, we're going to see people turn their backs on God. As long as the Lord tarries His coming, we're going to see people walk away from the faith. We are going to see these things and we're going to see them increase. As long as the Lord tarries His coming, we are going to live in a world that has given themselves over to sin and ungodliness. And as long as the Lord tarries His coming, we are to to remain faithful. The Lord has told us throughout His Word that until He returns, we are to continue living godly lives. We're to continue marrying. We're to continue raising families. We're to continue being a light in this world around us. These things are constant. Uh, These things never change uh, regardless uh, of the circumstances uh, in the world around us. Now there are some uh, who would like to say, you know, uh, because of the wickedness of the world, uh, maybe you shouldn't uh, think about having a family. Because of the wickedness in the world, maybe you shouldn't consider raising children in this vile environment. Uh, Because of the wickedness in the world, you don't want to have children uh, to face that. But whenever we look in the Word of God, nowhere in this Bible do I find that God instructs us to quit doing uh, the things that he's commanded us to do uh, until he returns. We are instructed uh, uh, to live godly. We are instructed to have families. Uh, We are instructed to raise children. Uh, We are instructed uh, to be a light. Why is it uh, that in the face of all this wickedness that God wants us to continue doing these things uh, that in the realm of human reasoning seems risky? Why is it that he wants us to continue doing these things? 
Because God has set it up in such a way that it is in these areas that we find the strength, the safety, and the stamina we need to stand against the wickedness around us. It is in these areas that I find the support that I need to stand against the wickedness. It is through these principles that we can find and build the components necessary to produce strong churches and strong communities. It is in these. The importance of these areas, our personal relationship with God, godly homes, godly families, godly churches. The importance of these areas is very evident whenever you look at the attack of Satan against these things. There is nothing the devil attacks more in our day and really in all time, but definitely obvious in our day. There's nothing he attacks more than he attacks the home. There is nothing he attacks more than he attacks the family. There is nothing that he wants to destroy more than God's union of holy marriage. Nothing that the devil wants to destroy more. Why does he want to destroy it so much? Because God has designed it to be the place that you and I are able to find strength, we're able to find stability, and we're able to influence the next generation that can make a difference in our churches, in our communities, and the world world around us. Nothing receives as much resistance from the ungodly as personal purity, godly marriages, and Christian homes. You want to know something that the world will make fun of you for, especially if you're a young person, you know something the world will make fun of you for. They will make fun of you for desiring to be personally pure. They will make fun of you, young Christian, looking to get married. They will make fun of you for wanting to honor God in your marriage and in your wedding. I just stop right here and say, boy, I'm telling you what, when Danny and Joe re- renewed their vows, if y'all weren't able to be a part of that, boy, I'm telling you, you missed a blessing. I have always felt that a wedding ought to be a worship service. A wedding is an act of worship. A wedding ought to be a time when we are, we are uh, doing one of the most sacred things that God ever instituted in the uniting of a man and a woman. This is something that was instituted by God for God. And when men and women come together in holy matrimony, it ought to be a, a ceremony that recognizes and glorifies God. But so many, so many weddings and so many marriages, even of Christian people, I tell you, when I go to them, my heart is grieved because God is not the center of the wedding ceremony. They play secular music. They partake in worldly uh, entertainment. Uh, They drink alcohol uh, and they do all these things uh, because it's a wedding. This is what you're supposed to do at a wedding. No, it's not what you're supposed to do at a wedding. Uh, A wedding is to be a worship ceremony. Uh, It's to be a ceremony uh, where we declare to the God and all the people uh, that we are coming together uh, under the authority of God to run a home based on the principle 
principles of God for the rest of our life. The preacher stands, he goes through the vows, and if he's worth anything at all as he goes through the vows, he interjects in there somewhere the importance of God being the center of the home. But then they leave the ceremony and they partake of ungodliness. They dress immodestly and they do all these things. Let me tell you, if you can't start godly, it's not going to go godly. But you want the world to make fun of you? Oh, let me back up. What I loved about Danny and Joe's ceremony. I'm telling you what, I felt like I had went to church. I mean, boy, everything about that ceremony was centered on God and God's goodness and how God had kept them together and how living for God is what got them where they were at and that they were going to continue to live for God. I left feeling like I'd went to church. I'm telling you what, I was blessed, I was stirred, and I want to say that's how every wedding ought to be, but you want the world to make fun of you? You want the world to make fun of you? You tell the world that you're going to honor God in your wedding. You tell the world that you don't want any worldly, ungodly music. You don't want any worldly, ungodly entertainment. You don't want any worldly, ungodly dress. That this is a worship service and you are starting off to serve God. The things that matter. You see, the reason that we're not making a difference in our community is because we're not focused on the things that matter. The number one thing the ungodly are going to attack in your life is your personal purity. That is the number one thing they're going to attack. It's the number one thing they're going to mock. It's the number one thing they're going to make fun of. They are going to laugh at you whenever you say, I'm not going to do that because I think the Bible says it's wrong. I'm not going to do that because it's a bad testimony. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to smoke that. I'm not going to chew that. I'm not going to have any in any of that because it's not what God wants and the world will laugh at you, they will mock you, they will make fun of you but the things that matter is first our personal purity. Personal purity. How are we going to make a difference? We've got to worry about the things that matter most and it begins with personal purity. They'll attack our personal purity. They'll attack our godly marriages and then they'll attack Christian homes. Home for a Christian ought to be just as sacred an environment as the church house. God ought to feel just as welcome in your living room as He does in the sanctuary. But the world says, no, 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 no. We do what we want, we live how we want, we behave how we want, in our home, and then we clean up for church. The things that matter. We want to make a difference in the community. We start with ourselves. We start with personal purity, godly marriages, Christian homes. Why does the devil attack these things? I believe he attacks them because he knows that if he can corrupt these things, he has disrupted the flow of influence as ordained by 
God. You see, God has set in place a flow of influence. And if we follow God's flow of influence, it works. It is effective if we follow God's flow of influence. And the devil knows that if he can upset your personal purity, if he can disrupt a godly home and a godly marriage, he knows that if he can, if he can derail these areas, he has been extremely effective in disrupting God's intended flow of influence. And then it becomes very easy for him to corrupt communities and nations and countries once he has stopped on a pers- stopped us on a personal level. And I have to say, if you're observant at all, you will have to agree that this is exactly what we see going on in our world right now. You trace it back. You look at the problems in the world. You look at the problems in our country. You look at the problems in our community. And it keeps going. We see the problems in the home. We see the problems in the marriages. We see the problems in the individuals. You see, God has a flow of influence. God has established an order of importance, a flow of influence that will result in a godly society that can make a difference in our world. And it begins with godly individuals. You're doing good, Hot Rod. I'm being hard to follow this morning. Thank you, brother. You just leave it right there where you're at. I'll catch up with you. I try to be really easy for these guys to follow, but sometimes I just get all off. So y'all just hang with us. The first thing that we see here in this godly flow of influence is it begins with godly individuals. This is how God intends for this to work. Until we become focused on our own spiritual condition, until we become serious about our own personal walk with God, until we prioritize following God over every other area of our life, we will not be able to move forward and influence a godless society. It's how God set it up. It has to start right here. When I get serious about my personal walk with God, I can influence an entire society. If you go to the book of Daniel, what Danny was teaching on this morning, we see that there was four men in an entire Babylon. In all of Babylon, there was four men. But when you get to the book, end of the book of Daniel, you know what you find? You find all of Babylon bowing before God. Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego didn't set out with some kind of campaign or some kind of rally or some kind of parade or holding up placards and and, uh, contending against what was going on in Babylon. No, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived faithfully individually. And as they lived faithfully individually, their individual purity, their individual faithfulness, uh, their individual dedication uh, affected uh, the entire nation of Babylon. We must start with godly individuals. When we neglect our own spiritual condition, we cripple the very foundation of God's plan. If we don't have godly individuals, we cannot go any further. We must first have godly individuals. When we speak of what matters most, I believe that we find that it begins here in Myself. The next step for this flow of godly influence is when godly individuals unite in godly marriages. Now this is somewhere where I could get off track, so I'm going to try to stay on my sermon here. But something that seems to be lacking in our churches 
is young people understanding the importance of marrying godly individuals. For some reason, as Christians, we have begun to get the idea that as long as they're a good moral person, as long as they're not in jail, as long as they're not doing drugs, I mean, it's okay to marry them. Let me just put the brakes on you right here and tell you that if we're going to be effective in making a change in this world around us, we need to start prioritizing the importance of godly marriages to godly individuals uniting in holy matrimony for the purpose of serving God together. The Bible tells us, Be ye not unequally yoked. Whenever two people come together and one is godly and one is not, you will have a union that can never be for God what it ought to be. I want to say if we want to make a difference in our community, we need to start emphasizing the importance of marrying godly individuals. When an individual seeks to live a godly life, they free themselves from many of the temptations and snares of the world. Did you know that? This is pretty interesting, really. If you are seeking to live for God, many of the temptations and snares of this world will never be a problem for you. How's that work? Well, for example, I've never use tobacco. But I understand stopping the habit of tobacco is a very difficult thing to do. It can be very hard to do. It takes a lot of determination. It takes a lot of grit. It's a lot of miserable days. Uh, and a lot of times you never completely overcome that nagging addiction in your past. Well, because the Lord worked in my life as a young person, I had a pastor for a dad, I never used tobacco. And I never had to go through that. Alcohol will absolutely ruin your life. And I'll just stick it in right here. In today's world, more and more and more Christians are trying to say that alcohol is acceptable for Christians. And I've got a whole sermon that I've preached in the past on this. We can bring it out. But I'll just put it to you real plain and real simple. Alcohol is not for Christians. The Bible is clear that alcohol is not for Christians. It doesn't matter how much, how little, how you're partaking in it, if you do it in moderation or not. Alcohol is not for Christians. All right, Just remember that. Alcohol is not for Christians. But alcohol will get into your life. Uh, alcohol will cause problems. Uh, alcohol can destroy you. Uh, alcohol can ruin who you are. It can ruin your family. It can ruin your career. But I've never went through that. Ne never had to face that. Why? Because I chose to live a godly life as a young person. So let me just say here that those are just some examples that if you choose to live godly, there's a lot of temptations and snares, and we could go on and give a tremendous amount of examples. There are many temptations and snares that you will never face, that you will never have to deal with, that you will never have to fight through, that you will never have to overcome because you chose to live a godly life. Now, if you have a mate who also has chose to live a godly life, the two of you, when you come together in holy matrimony and begin a family, you are miles ahead of the average couple getting married without God. Miles and miles and miles ahead of that average couple. You are way ahead in realms of being able to influence your children to grow up to be children who love God and want to serve God. 
So we see the first step of influence is godly individuals. The second step of influence is godly marriages. The third step of this influence is godly homes. When two God-fearing, Bible-loving, heaven-seeking individuals marry, there's a difference in that home. It's a different atmosphere. They share the same principles, the same morals, the same ideas, the same goals, the same ambitions, and they are able to invest corporately into building a home that honors God. This is how God has set up the flow of influence, okay? Start with me. Start with my marriage. Start with my home. This is how God has set it up. You said, Pastor John, you was talking about helping the world. We're going to get there. Whenever you have a family that is made up of two godly individuals who both love God, honor God, and are seeking to please God, and those two individuals are investing into their children. Now let me just stop right here. You say, Pastor John, I've messed up on a couple of them steps. God is a God of second chances, and you can start wherever you are at. Okay, you can start wherever you're at making these corrections. But you've got two godly individuals who have been united in a godly marriage and they are investing in their children and they are training their children to be godly children who love and honor God and then that family joins the church. Oh, what a blessing. Every pastor loves when those families join the church. I mean, what a blessing. I mean, because what you've got that just joined the church is you've got a husband who is going to be invested in the things of God. He's going to be serving. He's going to be busy. He's going to be helping. He's going to be committed because God is everything to him. You've got a lady who is going to equally be invested in the things of God. You've got a group of children, four or five or six or eight children, well, maybe two or three. You've got a bunch of children who are also interested in the things of God. Mom and dad have done their homework. They can already quote most of the common passages. They can answer questions about doctrine that a lot of grown-ups can't. They have a grasp on the things of God. And then they infiltrate the Sunday school classes. And now we've got a godly influence in the Sunday school classes. And you know what you get a church full of families like that? Then you have the next step of our process, which is a godly church. And you get a church full of families like that, you have got a spiritual power that is unstoppable in the community. You know why the churches can't make a difference in the community? A lot of times people say, why, why aren't the churches doing anything? You know why the churches can't make a difference in the community? Because we are just burdened down with trying to get the families and the individuals to be godly. We can't ever work outside of our walls because we're always trying to work inside our walls. You say, Pastor John, you've really been preaching a lot here lately about our individual spirituality. Let me, let me just interject a little bit right here. Let me just try to be honest with you. First, if you are living a spiritual life, and you are living godly, and you are invested, and you are serving God... I'm not telling you that you're not doing enough. I'm not telling you that shame on you for what you've been doing. No, to you I'm saying congratulations, thank you for what you're doing. But we need not let the devil jump on our back and say, Pastor John's mad at me because I'm not doing enough. Because that's, Pastor John wasn't talking to you. But there are a lot of people who attend church who are not living for God. 
I tell you, the worst thing in the world that was ever created was social media. You know why it's the worst thing that was ever created? Because I see what you post. I see your wine parties. I see your nakedness. I see your smoking. I see the way that you behave when you're not in the church house. I see the testimony that you are putting on the world wide web. Don't fuss at me for seeing it. You put it on the world wide web. Apparently you're not too ashamed of it and it builds a fire inside of me that we got a church full of people that aren't living godly. And it just burns me up. I want to see a church that is full of families that are godly, that is made up of individuals that are godly so that we can get outside these walls and we can shake the realms of these lawmakers and these board advisors and these people that are making all these laws. I want to get out of the church. I want to be able to make a difference. But we can't make a difference until we get pure individually. It's just how God set it up. And I'm not angry at anyone. But I do know that until we quit living ungodly, we have no power. None. The world is going to run where it wants to run until we have a church that is interested in being godly. So we see if a church gets full of these families... We have a church that is an unstoppable spiritual influence in the community. And when a community gets full of these kind of churches, I'm telling you, you won't ever see anything like it. You say, how do you know? Because I can look in history. I can look back in history when revival came and churches got on fire for God and all the beer joints was closed and all the bars was run out of town and church started happening seven days a week and people got on fire for God. Just look back in your history. It's happened before and it can happen again. When a community gets full of churches that are full of families, that are full of individuals, that are godly, it will turn a community around. And whenever a county gets filled up with communities that are turning their hearts towards God we will see a county that turns towards God. When a state gets full of counties uh, that are living for God, we'll see a state turn around. And when a nation gets full of states that are turned around, we'll see a nation turn around. But it will never, ever happen until we get focused on that which matters most. You see, what we like to do is we like to skip. We say, boy, I'm telling you what, we see that the world is in a terrible shape. We need to do something about the problems in the world. And we skip our personal purity. We skip having a godly home. We skip having a church that honors God and works for God and lives for God. We skip all of that and we just try to figure out how can I make a difference in the problems in the world? I'll tell you how you can make a difference. Individual purity. It starts with me. It starts with me. When a nation is filled with godly people, we have a nation that's serving God. You say, Pastor John, that's impossible. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did it. Thanks for the illustration, brother. That wasn't anywhere in my sermon. I'm telling you, good illustration. They turned a nation around. How? Through individual purity. That which matters most. How important is it that I live a godly life? It's globally important. 
How important is it that I marry a godly individual? It is world-changing important. How important is it that I raise God-fearing, church-loving, Bible-memorizing, Scripture-quoting kids? It's world-changing important. That's how important it is. How important is it that I contribute to the godly atmosphere of my church? The answer is if we want to see a change in our communities, our society, our governments, and our world, then investing in our homes and our marriages, our churches, and our own personal life is absolutely the only answer if we're going to see a difference in our world. We love whenever we preach messages on how bad the world is and how God is a God of comfort and a God of love and a God of peace and a God of uh, trust and God will hold us and God will help us and God will carry us. And I love all of those promises. But those things, those sermons don't make a change in the world. And I would say that every person in this congregation today, if I were to ask, would say, I want to see a change in our world. But the problem is we don't want to follow God's plan. God said, here's how we get there. This is how we change the world that we live in. This is how we get there. In 2 Timothy Chapter number 3, Paul told Timothy three things, and I know we're over time. I'll try to wrap this up quick for you. Timothy lived in an ungodly society. Timothy was trying to plant a church in a society that was against God. Paul told Timothy three things. First of all, he said, Timothy, evil men will wax worse. Timothy, if you spend all of your energy trying to combat the evil men. Timothy, you're going to run yourself into the ground. Timothy, you're not going to overcome them by trying to fight them in your own strength. Timothy, the evil men are going to wax worse. It's going to continue to get bad. And in the day in which we live in, the world in which we live in, the evil of our society will continue to degenerate. The Bible says that in the end time it will. So we understand that. But that doesn't mean that there isn't thousands upon thousands of souls who are in need of salvation and who are open to receiving salvation. Now the general direction of this world will continue to degenerate, but it doesn't mean that the fields are no longer white unto harvest. No, the fields are white unto harvest, and we need to be out there gleaning all those souls that are hungry for an answer just like you and I are. We need to be out there giving them the hope of the gospel that Jesus saves. Paul said, Timothy, evil men are going to wax worse and worse. Timothy, if you put all your strength and all your energy and all your ambition in trying to fight against the evil, Timothy, that's not how we win this battle. Timothy, here's how we win this battle. First of all, evil men will wax worse. But second of all, he said in verse number 14, but continue thou. They're going to get worse, Timothy. But Timothy, here's what you're supposed to do. We are to continue. What are we to continue in? He said, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. You know what, if I could adapt this to fit the message, you know some things that I've learned and I have been assured of that make a difference. 
I have learned and I've been assured that godly individuals make a difference. I have learned and been assured that godly marriages make a difference. I have learned and been assured that godly homes will fuel godly churches that are able to make a difference in affecting their communities. I've learned this and I know this, so what do I do when my world is falling apart? I continue in what I know is true. I know that I can get in this book. I know I can find strength. I know I can find direction. I know I can find help. I know I can find answers. And I know that if I just continue in this book that there is coming a day when the Father's going to come and He's going to take me away and everything will be alright if I simply continue in what God has told me to do. Too often we want to skip God's steps, but God says, what do you do when evil's getting worse? Continue in the things that thou hast learned. And then the third thing that Paul told Timothy, and this goes right along with what we preached on last week. Paul said, Timothy, the Bible has the answer. I'm telling you what, we look everywhere for the answer. We watch the news trying to find an answer. We pull our old smartphone out. Hey, Siri. Can you tell me what's going on in the world today? Siri will pipe right up and tell you if she knows. We Google answers, and she's probably going to talk to me here in a minute. We try to find the answers. We try to Google the answers. We try to listen to the news to see what the philosophers say the answers are. We listen to the medical doctors to see what they say the answers are. We look everywhere for the answers. But let me promise you, Timothy, the Bible has the answer. This is where the answer's at. You need to quit wearing yourself out chasing the philosophies of the world. You need to quit wearing yourself out. Timothy, trying to stop the evil in the world. Timothy, here's how you make a difference. You continue in the things that thou hast learned. That's how you make a difference. He said in verse number 15, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A little bit ago I said that you may say, Pastor John, I've missed several of these steps. What do I do now? Timothy wasn't necessarily raised in a godly home. Things indicate that Timothy's dad may have not been a believer. Not the perfect setting. But we know that Timothy had a mother and a grandmother that from a child did their best to raise a godly family. And now we see a godly individual making a difference in a wicked community by being faithful to what he learned as a child. It's how it works. It's how God put it together. Verse 16, Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible, Timothy, the Bible. That's the answer. That which matters most. Boy, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of trouble in the world. There's a lot of things we don't understand. There's a lot of things we can't do anything about. And many times we find ourselves feeling helpless. What am I supposed to do? What, what can I do? What you're supposed to do is stay faithful. What you're supposed to do is make sure that you as an individual, are living a pure life. A couple months ago, we preached on the marriage. And we preached about the fact that you can't change her, 
and she can't change him. That the only thing you can do to improve your marriage is change yourself. And that is so true. If you weren't here for that message, jot that down now because it's so true. He can't change her. She can't change him. The only thing you can do to improve your marriage is change yourself. But the principle applies here. Honestly, by myself, there's not a whole lot I can do in the scope of everything that's going on in the world. But God said there is a way that you can make an enormous difference. How's that? You live godly. That's how you can make a difference. You live godly and you will change the entire world. That which matters most. This morning, I ask you, are you investing in that which matters most? Are you examining yourself? The Bible tells us that it's good as Christians once in a while to examine ourselves and see where we're at spiritually. Are you examining yourself? Are you examining your lifestyle? Are you examining your habits? Are you identifying your spiritual weaknesses and seeking God to help you overcome those weaknesses? Are you investing in that which matters most? Are you seeking to grow closer to the Lord? Are you striving to have a home that honors God? Those of you that are unmarried, are you seeking to be and find a godly individual and pursue a godly marriage and a godly home? Are you contributing to the godly atmosphere and effectiveness of your church so that it can have an impact in the community and around the world? Are you investing in that which matters most? I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to come to the piano. If the Lord spoke to your heart, as Miss Debbie plays, I encourage you to come.
thank you for coming to the Lord's house this morning. Pray that message has been a blessing to you. Someone asked Jesus once, they said, what is the greatest commandment? He said that thou love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. If we want to make a difference in this world, first step is that I love the Lord my God with everything in me. And the second is likened to it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know what? You get those two things down, you can rock the world if we do those two things. Thank you for coming. Hope the message has been a blessing to you. Appreciate you being here this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Colin if he would dismiss us from the service. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. We need your help going forward. We just pray we prepare for the next service. Thank you for all you've done. Jesus, thank you. Good, good.